If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany, and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improved jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. The mission briefing had been cryptic, a mere mention of an obscure island near Iwo Jima in the Pacific that required investigation as a member of an elite Navy SEAL team. I'd been on countless missions, but this one felt different from the start. Our objective was shrouded in secrecy and rumors circulated among the team about the eerie nature of the island. As our helicopter descended onto the desolate island, the atmosphere was thick with tension. The landscape seemed untouched, yet an unsettling aura permeated the air. Our team leader, Commander Anderson, briefed us on the mission's primary goal, investigate the mysterious occurrences reported in the vicinity. 
we advanced cautiously through dense vegetation, navigating the rugged terrain. Suddenly, we were met with an unexpected adversary. A horde of vicious creatures resembling chupacabras charged at us with an unnatural ferocity. The firefight was intense as we battled the genetically engineered cryptids. The island had become a battleground, and we were in the heart of a sinister experiment gone awry. Amidst the chaos, we pressed forward, determined to uncover the origin of these monstrous creatures. The rogue scientist behind this nightmare, Dr. Austin, was our primary target. His whereabouts remained unknown, but we tracked distress signals to a hidden bunker concealed within the island's rocky terrain. As we breached the entrance, we discovered a labyrinthine network of tunnels leading to an underground facility. The stench of scientific experimentation hung heavy in the air. The bunker was filled with cages containing the genetically modified chupacabras, their eyes gleaming with an unsettling intelligence. We moved cautiously through dimly lit corridors, encountering resistance from the remaining creatures. The team's resolve remained unbroken as we faced relentless attacks. Finally, in the depths of the bunker, we cornered Dr. Austin, the rogue scientist, his eyes wild with desperation, surrendered without resistance. Anderson interrogated Austin, pressing for answers about the creation of these monstrous beings. The scientist revealed a dark truth. He had been conducting forbidden experiments, manipulating the creature's DNA to enhance their predatory instincts. The government had forbidden him from sharing his research with the public, deeming it too dangerous. As we secured Austin and prepared to extract him from the island, our curiosity got the better of us. We decided to examine the laboratory and gather any valuable information. The cryptids were contained, but the secrets hidden within the bunker were equally unsettling. The laboratory revealed a trove of classified data detailing the genetic modifications that had given birth to these abominations. The team documented the findings. Aware of the potential consequences of such forbidden knowledge, the government's decision to suppress this information underscored the dangers it posed to humanity. With Austin in custody and the laboratory secured, we prepared to leave the island. Our mission had uncovered a dark chapter of clandestine experimentation, leaving us haunted by the knowledge that some truths were never meant to see the light of day. I do not know what I saw, but I do know it was something that should not have been there, and it will remain with me the rest of my life. I was turkey hunting one morning approximately four years ago. I have never told my story due to, I feel people will not believe me. It rained all night long that night, and thus it allowed me to walk into the forest in complete silence. No leaves crackling, etc. I sat up on a hillside overlooking a small creek and valley. It was nearly pitch black due to the overcast sky, but soon the rain stopped and the forest became brighter. Soon after I realized I was sitting within 15 feet of several birds that were roosted in a tree next to me. I didn't know they were there until they started shaking the rain off. My gun was already propped on my knee and pointed at my decoy. As things became brighter, I could make out most of the valley floor, and I continued to watch the birds roosted next to me. 
Soon after one of the birds gobbled, I began hearing something off in the distance, almost immediately after. I only remember this because it was a very strange paced sound. The rhythm of it seemed odd. Nothing I could think of would make a sound like this. I could see down the valley to my right for a fairly long distance, however, to my left. A separate hillside came out, and I could not see up the valley in that direction. The noise continued with almost near-perfect rhythm for several minutes with only occasional breaks. It continued to get louder. I soon realized the sound I was hearing was coming from up the valley in the direction I could not see. The turkeys in their roosts next to me stopped gobbling and remained silent. A few moments later, the forest was becoming fairly bright, and I could see most everything around me. All of the birds roosted in the tree flew down and hit the forest floor running. They didn't even seem to notice the decoy. I remained perfectly still watching the birds run through the forest down to my right, through the valley. They acted as though something spooked them. At first I thought maybe it was me that spooked them, but then it occurred to me the sound had stopped about the same time the birds took off. As soon as the birds were out of sight, the noise began again. I remained still leaning against a large ash tree. Maybe one minute after I lost sight of the birds, the sound was becoming much louder and apparent of what it might be. My first instinct was that another hunter was walking through the forest. However, to this day, I will never forget what I saw in the coming moments. The sound with an almost steady rhythm reminded me of what it would sound like if I were walking on dry leaves in the forest. There was not a drop of wind on this morning, and I believe the valley might have been echoing the sound. A few moments later, I caught sight of it, maybe 50 yards to my left, coming into view on the bottom edge of the valley. At first, I thought it was a hunter in a ghillie suit, but upon closer examination, I realized this was no human wearing a camo outfit. It continued to walk up right on two feet down the valley towards my right. When the creature got to the bottom of the hill, outcropping, I was sitting on it, stopped dead in its tracks, and remained perfectly still momentarily. I think it was at this point I truly realized what I was seeing. When it stopped and stood still, it became nearly invisible in the forest. It seemed an eternity passed while I sat against this tree, uncontrollably shaking. I was scared out of my wits, even with a 10GA shotgun propped on my knee, pointed in the direction of the creature. What happened next scared me so bad I would have bet my life on it that was going to have a heart attack. The creature turned its head and looked directly at me. I stared directly into the eyes of this creature for an uncone amount of time. It made no sound. It did not move, only stared at me. I was in full camouflage, including a face mask, so maybe it was not sure what I was. Shaking so bad at this point, the only thing I could think of was to defend myself. I clicked the safety off on my shotgun. When I did this, the creature went into an almost crouching position, only it seemed more like it was in a position that would allow it to move quickly. The stare down went on for what seemed forever. I readied my shotgun, not afraid to move anymore since it was apparent I had been seen. When I positioned my left hand under the forearm of my shotgun, the creature sprang up, nearly causing me to pull the trigger. It continued its walk through the forest with its head turned watching me. I continued pointing my gun at it. I never pulled the trigger. I was so afraid I didn't know what to do. 
Eventually, I lost sight of it. I jumped up as soon as it was gone, and I ran back to my truck without stopping to rest once. To this day, I will never forget what I saw or the feeling of absolute terror that overcame me. I do not want to be famous, nor do I want my story posted all over the Internet. I just thought I should tell somebody my story. Everything I have just wrote is entirely true. I think there is a dogman in my town on the far east side. I experienced something odd at an old Indian graveyard, which isn't far from my childhood friend's childhood home. I was friends with him and his neighbor for a long time, and they each described seeing something that sounds like a dogman. One said he saw a gigantic black dog in his pasture, but its size scared him. He said it was like a horse in size. The other friend, who lived right next to him, said one night he saw a giant creature with yellow glowing eyes watching him through the glass sliding door. His bedroom had. He developed sleeping issues due to the level of fear it gave him. He tried to rationalize it, but he gave me the impression he knew it wasn't a dog or a normal animal and that it was something else. His body language told me he was petrified of it and that he was being honest. His bed was fully visible to it, and so was he. One night I took my co-worker Andre to go see the Indian graveyard. She was into spooky stuff, so I took her out there late one night. We walked to the back of it, looking at old gravestones from the 1800s. Suddenly we heard this super deep howl that we could feel in our bodies. It was the same kind of bass you feel at an indoor concert next to loud bass speakers. We instantly ran back to my vehicle as fast as we could and left. Old Cherokee folklore talks about evil shape-shifting medicine, man spirits that lurk around Indian graveyards. They can allegedly take the form of any animal, but are most often an owl or a large wolfish creature. My Cherokee friend calls them Ski-Lee. That is how she pronounces it, but I'm not sure how to spell it. Some legends say they protect the dead, while others say they are protectors of the gates to the spirit world. Gates that are near or at the location where the dead rest, like graveyards. She said if you see the same owl following you, it is a bad omen in Cherokee lore, indicating that the one being followed will die a supernatural death or is being bewitched by a ski, Lee. Anyways, putting two and two together, I believe we heard a dogman that night and that it was warning us to leave. Something along those lines. I may have encountered it a second time when I took another co-worker there, but that's another story. As far as the ski, Lee, maybe that is what they are. One of my many bored days out walking broad daylight, about 17 years old. I was walking down a disused old road in the middle of nowhere in the Sonoran Desert, about a quarter mile from our house. My family had left for the day, so I was totally alone. I was enjoying the rare, pleasant spring afternoon, so I stopped for a moment, and then I heard several footsteps very close to me crunching on the gravel. I thought it was my imagination. So I walked a few more paces, then stopped suddenly. There it was again. Several steps, then nothing. I waited for a long time, my heart racing now. 
This is Brustlin. It's all flat with low creosote bushes and cactus all around. No real place for anyone to hide. Yet I heard those footsteps clear as day. I then suddenly sprinted a short distance and stopped, and there it was again. Fast steps had to be closer than 30 yards. Yet nothing visible all around me. If it was a person, they were camouflaged and hiding within view. But why? I did this two more times, and still each time I heard what sounded like a person shadowing me, and stopping right after I stopped. I felt like I was being hunted, and it chilled me in a way I never felt in my life. I got so freaked out I bolted I ran back to our house at full speed, hyperventilating, grabbed my family's SKS rifle, and spent the rest of the day on the roof, staring out into an endless sea of bushes and cactus. My friends and I are very much into off-roading slash camping, so we are in Southern California, fairly close the Mexico border. We regularly take our trucks and jeeps deep into the desert for many camping trips, so this day we go to one of our usual spots, a turnout off the freeway which dead ends into a dirt road. The dirt road just dead ends into the desert and off we go. We drive probably 15, 20 miles in. We have a standard day of off-roading, shooting, and various tomfoolery. We decide to make a camp as it's getting close to dark and clouds are moving in. Four jeeps, two on each side, back up to each other, and we open up the tailgates and throw a tarp over them to create a makeshift shelter, because it was starting to sprinkle now. We get a fire going to let the heat blow through camp and cook some food. It's now 2 a.m., We've done our fair share of drinking and bullshitting by this point, and it is pouring rain. We heard what sounded like whistles coming from a nearby ridge, so we walk around our makeshift camp, but don't see anything. As I mentioned, we all brought our guns with us, and half the guys... I'm with the X special Forces or Army. Now on to crazy part. It's nearly 3 a.m. and we hear a loud noises coming down the hill right behind our camp. All of us draw our guns, considering it's 3 a.m. Pouring rain in the middle of the desert that's 20 miles from any road. And about 60 miles from any city. Two guys come flying down the hill on horseback and a lot of yelling back and forth ensues. Guns are drawn on them while the yelling continues and as they get close, one yells back, Don't shoot. Don't shoot. It's two guys on horses who said they saw our fire and wanted to ask if they could warm up for a minute before continuing to ride. As mentioned, we're not far from the border of Mexico and these two guys happen to be Mexican. One spoke average, broken English, while the other did not speak any English at all. They also had guns on their hips, but seemingly fairly nice, and normal just looking to warm up. Now a few alarm bells are going off at this point. It's the middle of the night, pouring rain, middle of nowhere in the desert. Sixty miles to the nearest town, and two guys on horseback with guns find our camp. We have about seven people in our group, as mentioned. All of us armed with various rifles and pistols, which we kept on our hips or slung over our shoulders. While standing around the fire, they begin to tell us they are training horse, which is why they were out there so late and in the rain. 
Again, sketchy. Now, one of my friends in the group is Mexican. However, his father left at a young age, and his mother didn't speak much Spanish, so my friend speaks no Spanish. Now me, born and raised in Southern California, speaks nearly fluent Spanish, regardless of me being a white boy. The one horseback rider who didn't speak English keeps trying to start a conversation in Spanish with my friend, who just smiles and nods along. The horseback rider says to my friend, Quares Cristal Gay, and my friend doesn't answer. So he repeats himself while opening the satchel on the side of his horse, Quares Crystal Guy. My friend turns to me and says, what is he asking? So I promptly tell him he's offering you crystal meth. So now the two Spanish-speaking horseback riders who have guns on their hips, riding horses at 3 a.m. in the pouring rain, with a satchel full of meth, seems to prove as sketchy as we thought. Upon my translation, the mood changes completely. The guy who only speaks Spanish pulls out a sat phone and starts making a phone call. All guns get drawn by everyone. Nine people are now aiming a variety of pistols and rifles at each other around a campfire, screaming at one another. I yell at the guy in Spanish, hang up the phone, hang up the phone, with a pistol to his head. Realizing they were outnumbered, they holstered their guns and rode off very quickly back into the middle of the desert night. Needless to say, we packed up camp ASAP and rode out of there before the assumed Mexican cartel backup arrived. I've never given Bigfoots or any supposed animal that doesn't exist any real thought in my life. That is, until I went camping back in the fall of 2005. My place of choice was Mount Adams in Washington State. I do things pretty unethically and probably quite dangerous to most. I usually start off at a trailhead and go completely off trail, using only my compass to guide me back in the right direction. I was pretty good at doing what I do, so I knew I wasn't too uncomfortable with the concept of the whole thing. I remember the leaves were just starting to change color, so this was probably earlier in October. I remember I had hiked miles and miles the very first day, set up camp, got up the next morning, went again for another five to seven miles before toning it down that evening and settling down early. I had probably hiked at this point in a cumulative 12 to 13 miles so far, and I wanted to make sure I rested a lot this very evening. What was really nice about the spot that I set up camp at is that I was only a couple hundred yards away from a rather large creek. This enabled me to use water for multiple purposes, including cooking where that night itself went pretty normal. Everything was beautiful out, the stars were out, the sounds of the forest. It was wonderful, and I slept pretty well until the following morning. I remember waking up about five or six in the morning or so, I think, to some weird gibberish chirping sounds, probably about 200 or so feet away, if I had to guess properly. The sounds seemed pretty distant, but close enough that I could actually hear kind of what was going on. These sounds sounded like people on speed talking as fast as they could. It was the weirdest thing. I remember thinking to myself, why would there be anyone out here? I'm at least 13 miles away from any trailhead. I just laid there, though, with my eyes shut, trying to drift back off to sleep. But this gibbering sound is all I could think of to call it. Kept going on and on. 
Finally, I got curious and wanted to see what was going on, so I got out of my sleeping bag and poked my head out of the tent. Now, from right where my head pokes out of the tent, I had a pretty clear view of the creek. From where I could see, and there was enough trees and brush that I was kind of concealed, I guess you would say, like if there was a bear or some predator at the creek, I don't think it would necessarily see me, but again, I had a pretty clear view. I remember I looked over in the direction of the creek, and I was stunned by what I saw. There were two humanoid figures, I guess we'll call them. One was black and extremely hairy. The other one was almost a pale white with a little bit of gray. The pale gray one was taller and larger than the black one, if I had to guess sizes. Of course, just based around the rocks around them, I would say the black one was maybe five to six feet tall, while the pale gray one was probably eight to nine feet tall. The pale gray one was obviously much larger in girth and overall size. Even the muscle mass was a huge difference between the two. I couldn't really make out any faces or anything other than just seeing these large shapes, but I remember hearing the gibbering noises go on and on, and it sounded like it was coming from them. They were moving their arms around like they were lost in conversation with one another, and they were literally standing right at the bed of the creek. I was in such shock and disbelief, and so bummed out I didn't even have my Kodak camera or anything to take a picture of these things with. I was pretty sure what I was witnessing was two Bigfoots having a conversation or something like that, although I don't know if you could really call that conversation. It was just these weird, high-pitched, gibbering noises that I guess would be their communication. I'm not sure. This went on for a little while longer, and I watched them out of curiosity. I never sensed any fear or felt anything bad. Just watched them sit there, move their arms around, and talk to one another. And then before I knew it, they kind of just disappeared. They moved out of view really quickly, but the gibbering noises and sounds still kept going on, although I could tell it was moving farther and farther away. It's really crazy to me because I know that the Pacific Northwest is supposed to be known for Bigfoot, but I never actually ever believed in that, and I didn't think I would be running into any of them at all in my camping expeditions, let alone. After they left, I got back in my tent and got everything ready to go, and... I actually tried to head back to where I came from just in case. I didn't want to wander into their territory or anything like that. I have no idea what kind of animals those things were. And I didn't want to be on the aggressive side of any one of these things, even though I wasn't scared at all. I feel like this whole experience just taught me to be a whole lot more aware of your surroundings and to be open-minded to the unknown. Even though there's things out there that are supposedly not supposed to exist, I saw with my very own eyes two of those things. I don't know if Bigfoot are supposed to be a type of people or an animal or even supernatural, but whatever they are, I must have been close to maybe a den or a village or whatever it is that they migrate and live and all together. I've told my experiences to a few friends of mine, and they actually tell me that it sounds like I encountered an elderly Bigfoot talking to a younger juvenile Bigfoot, which I thought was extremely interesting. I guess white and gray Bigfoots aren't as common, but uh, I guess they are seen from time to time.
I don't know if it's because of their age or what it is that causes them to be that color. But then it was also interesting to see a shorter one, which would make sense that maybe that one was a juvenile that was talking to the elder one. Maybe that really did mean that there was a village nearby or something like that. I'm not quite sure, but it would make a lot of sense since Mount Adams, I guess, is kind of a hot spot for UFO and Bigfoot encounters. I later on found out, and like I said, I was at least 10 plus miles off of any trailhead. It would be impossible for really anyone else to be out there in a big hairy gorilla costume of any kind. There's no reason anybody would travel 10 plus miles out in the middle of the forest to do such a thing. And for what reason? Not to mention those Bigfoot sounds were just not human. I live in a rather rural area. It's a long drive through the forest that separates work from home. In the past couple of months, people have started to turn up missing in these woods. No one knows why. Yes, people often get lost in the sticks, but five in one month. This is why I was doing ten over the speed limit on my way back home that night. I turned a blind corner to see another car sitting in the road. I slammed on the brakes, having to swerve to avoid a collision. When I stepped out of my vehicle, the smell of burnt rubber was in the air. It didn't take long to find out why this person's car was in the middle of the road. Its front end looked as if it kissed a tree. Unsure if anyone was inside, I tapped on the window and announced my desire to help. The door opened, and a short, mid-forties looking man stepped out. I asked him what might have happened here. I think it was a bear. He said, turn the corner, and he was just there. I asked if he was hurt and where the bear had gone. He ran off as soon as I hit him, and I'm fine, though I can't say the same for my car, he said. I hate to ask such a favor of you, but I don't live too far from here. Do you mind? I told him I'd be happy to drive him home, but first I had to report the accident. You don't have to report it, he said quickly. That was the first thing I did. At this point, he seemed a little off. Then I noticed he had his right arm behind his back. I didn't like that at all. Not knowing what to do, we sat in silence for a few minutes, just staring at each other. Are we going? He asked. I don't know. I said, speaking more truthfully than I should have. There's still a bear out here, sir. I think she might have had cubes. Do you know how dangerous this situation is? He was sweating bullets, which made me wonder if there really was something lurking in the woods. Still, I answered him with silence. I found his next move to be no surprise. He pulled a gun on me. I'm sorry, he said before turning his head towards the woods, but I cannot let that thing get me. It seemed clear to me that he was tripping on something. We have to go, he said. Now, what I did next, I did not expect to work. It was something I had seen only in movies. As quickly as I could, I grabbed the barrel of the gun, expecting the man to fire as soon as I did so. He didn't, then pointing it to the ground, where he did fire and sending a left hook to his face. He let go of the firearm, and I threw it away. Then I ran back to my car and locked the door. The man started pounding on the window, begging to be let in. I started up the engine, and the man broke down in tears, screaming hysterically that the monster was going to kill him. 
Then the ground began to shake. Something big was approaching. I watched two giant, hairy, monstrous hands emerge from the darkness and grab the man outside my car, then rip him in half like unwanted junk mail. I could make out the silhouette of a large, human-like thing standing before me. It stood just outside the ranch of the cabin lights. It picked of the two bloody parts of the man and walked away. My wife and I are now looking to move to the city. I don't know why he didn't want me reporting the crash. That part still bothers me. Was he going to kill me? Sacrifice me to that thing? That Sasquatch, I suppose. Or was he trying to hide from someone? And if so, who? When I was in my early 20s, I loved going out in the wintertime and exploring as much as I could. It was my favorite season to go out and hike in. Everything was so magical, and even though it was cold, the temperature and climates never pushed me away. Even though most people never went outdoors in that time, I always dressed accordingly. My favorite thing would be to go down all the Bane and logging roads and just pull off and start exploring. Usually those are the best parts because so much of those woods around there are untouched. Of course, I like to really go and explore just about every season there is, but winter is just so unique. I'm not really a hunter by trade or a woodsman. I just like to hike and explore. But I do have many good friends that are avid outdoorsmen and hunters. Now there's always something to see and explore no matter really what season you're in. I often take weapons with me like elephant knives and such just in case I would run into a bear or a mountain lion or anything that would put me in a bad situation. In this particular time, as I was exploring the area around, I came across what appeared to be extremely large tracks down by this little frozen river a few miles into the woods. I've always been pretty neutral about the whole Bigfoot phenomena, but this was amazing to witness firsthand. I don't know if really anybody else comes out this way, and if they do, I seriously doubt they're going to bring a fake foot imprint on the ground. This was a dried up old creek bed that looked like it had been not used for a long time, like maybe it had dried up years and years ago because the footprints looked like they had been frozen. I think what really got me was the overall impression of the footprint. You could tell it was set pretty deep into the frozen ground. Now these footprints weren't exactly in the snow more so in an area where the snow is receding and the ground was still totally frozen, and it looked like the footprints had been there prior to snowfall. You can tell that whatever made this footprint or these footprints must have been extremely heavy. The footprints had easily been 16 inches or more and were only faded a little bit, so they were pretty well preserved, but I think that was due to the cold, frigid temps. It was interesting to note that there were five clearly defined toes in the footprint as well as no real arch. It was clearly a bipedal footprint. I was looking at the footprints loosely were around the riverbank and went into the direction of the wood. What's even crazier is the stride. The stride between the footprints was roughly five to six feet. What on earth would have that kind of stride out here? I didn't really feel like even trying to figure out what it could be. I thought about following the footprints, but I immediately considered that being a bad idea, just because one, I don't know what animal made them, 
and two, it was in a totally different direction than the way I wanted to go. I'm an explorer, but I'm not stupid enough to potentially put myself in a dangerous situation, especially when I am not familiar with what I'm dealing with. I don't have any casting material or any of that stuff with me, nor do I ever carry it because I don't make molds of tracks. This just happened to be tracks that I happened to run into. I ended up going back to my car sometime later and driving back home. I couldn't stop thinking about it. I have a few friends of mine who are close with me that are Bigfoot enthusiasts, so I brought it up with them, and they were ecstatic that I told them about this. Not only did it tell me I ran into Bigfoot footprints, but they also shared with me some of their own hair-raising encounters that they had out in those same woods. You know, at this point, I don't know if Bigfoots really do exist, but I definitely can say that those footprints are pretty unexplainable, and I have no idea what animal made them. I'd spent years on the open road, trucking my way from one end of the country to the other. Long nights, lonesome highways, and the hum of my rig's engine were all I knew. There were times when I questioned my choices, especially when I was hauling cargo. I knew I shouldn't be, but it was the only life I knew, and it paid well. It was a moonless night somewhere on a desolate stretch of highway between New Mexico and Texas. The weight of my illegal cargo was a constant reminder that I lived on the fringes of the law, but as long as the money kept coming, I kept driving. I was pushing my rig through the darkness when something caught my eye. It was off to the side of the road, hidden in the shadows of a dense forest, a flicker of movement that shouldn't have been there. I slowed my truck and squinted into the darkness, trying to make sense of what I was seeing. As I got closer, my heart pounded in my chest and a shiver ran down my spine. It couldn't be real. It just couldn't. But there, in the moonless night, I saw them. A group of bipedal creatures like something out of a horror movie. They were gathered around what looked like a massive wolf totem, roaring and howling at the night sky. I couldn't tear my eyes away from the bizarre scene. These creatures, half man, half wolf, had to be some kind of twisted cult. My curiosity got the best of me, and I decided to grab my phone and snap a picture. Maybe I could sell it to the tabloids, make a quick buck. But as the flash of my phone's camera illuminated the forest, the creatures turned their heads toward me, their eyes glowing with an unnatural malevolence. Panic gripped me, and I dropped my phone as I stumbled backward. The creatures were on the move, coming toward me with a terrifying speed. I didn't waste a second. I turned and sprinted back to my truck, the sound of their howls echoing in my ears. I could hear their heavy footsteps and the rustle of leaves as they closed in. My heart raced as I fumbled for my keys, praying that my old rig would start. The engine roared to life, and I slammed my foot on the gas pedal. The truck surged forward, tires screeching as I left the bizarre cup behind. The creatures, whatever they were, weren't about to let me go without a fight. They gave chase, their eyes glowing in the rearview mirror. For miles, I pushed my rig to its limits, adrenaline coursing through my veins. The creatures were fast, but my truck was faster. I could see them in my mirrors, falling behind, their roars fading into the distance. As the first light of dawn broke over the horizon, 
I knew I was safe. I couldn't believe what I'd witnessed that night. It defied all reason and explanation. I'd lost my phone during the frantic escape, so I had no proof of what I'd seen. But I knew one thing for sure. I was never going to take that desolate highway again. Some secrets were better left in the darkness, and I had no intention of ever crossing paths with those creatures again. My illegal cargo could wait. My life was worth more than any payday. In the winter of 2001, I was followed by an object and abducted for four hours. I then returned to Asbury Park, New Jersey, and saw the craft on the ground and in the sky. I thought, what the hell is that? Then I was filled with fear. I thought out loud, that thing is following me. That thing knows me. That thing knows who I am. That thing wants me. I rode up the window, turned on the radio, and looked again. It was gone from view, but I knew that it was now of my car. The next thing I knew, I woke up at the corner of Sunset Avenue in Asbury Park, where I lived. I thought, how did I get here? I do not remember driving. I turned past the lake, and I was surprised by the big lights behind pine trees that took up a large space. I stopped the car and rolled down the window. The air was crisp, clear, and cold. I looked and could not believe what I was seeing. It was right there, but unidentifiable. It was big and made a low humming sound. It had red and green lights on it. I got scared and rolled the window up, drove to the corner, turned left, and parked in front of my house. I got out of the car and looked toward the lake. It was gone. I thought, wow, what the hell was that? Just then my eyes were drawn toward the sky. I had to bend way back to look at a very huge object way up in the sky, but still close enough to observe. Six or eight sides, dark brown, metallic, and heavy. I wondered how could it stay up there. Windows went around the craft, and I thought I may have seen some people. I was so afraid of it, a thought came immediately into my head. It said, we already took you. We are bringing you back. I ran into the house. It was getting light out. It only takes 40 minutes to get from Edison to Asbury Park, but hours passed, at least four. I wanted to go in and call the police, but I passed out cold. Around 10 a.m., I woke up, ran downstairs, and looked at the sky, but it was gone. For a long, long time after I heard high-frequency sounds in my head, my intuitive power was heightened, and to this day I have had numerous spiritual experiences. I consider myself lucky to have had the experience. I have not been the same since. The experience changed my life. A month after, an ex-Sky official claimed that the rumors surrounding a crash in Roswell, New Mexico, were true. An Eck Air Force official came forward to set the record straight, stating that there were actually two UFO crashes in Roswell, not just one like most conspiracy theorists believe. 
1947 Roswell UFO controversy has been rehashed in countless documentaries and papers and revolves around allegations that a strange object fell from the sky and was so unlike anything the Air Force had ever seen that they issued a press release stating a flying saucer had crashed in the new Mexico desert. During that time, there have been debunkers trying to prove the opposite. One of those debunkers, retired Air Force Lieutenant Colonel Richard French, stated that there were not one, but two crashes in Roswell. French stated there were actually two crashes at Roswell, which most people don't know. The first one was shot down by an experimental United States airplane that was flying out of White Sands near an AMA. And it shot what was effectively an electronic pulse-type weapon that disabled and took away all the controls of the UFO. And that's why it crashed. Finch's revelation comes less than a month after Chase Brandon, an ex-KI agent, stated, according to National Geographic, that it was not a damn weather balloon. It was what it was billed when people first reported it. It was a craft that clearly did not come from this planet. It crashed, and I don't doubt for a second that the use of the words remains and cadavers was exactly what people were talking about. Brendan told his story about walking into the historical intelligence collection section of the CIA headquarters in Langley, Virginia in the mid-1990s and discovering a box that simply said Roswell. I took the box down, lifted the lid up, rummaged around inside it, put the box back on the shelf and said, my God, it really happened. It seems that French may have corroborated his story. The retired Air Force pilot was in Alamogordo, New Mexico for altitude chamber testing in 1947 and stated specifically how the military reportedly brought down the UFO. He stated when they hit it with that electromagnetic pulse, bingo, there goes all their electronics and consequently the UFO was uncontrollable. Retired Army Colonel John Alexander later stated, however, that French's Roswell story was false. Alexander, who was given access in the 1980s to official documents and UFO accounts, stated that while UFOs are real, there was no official cover-up in Roswell, New Mexico. Alexander stated, no chance, zero chance. In the 1980s, I was the guy developing all of the Pulse power weapon systems. We couldn't have done it then. In the 60s, they had a laser system, but your range was extremely limited, and we didn't have operational laser weapons in that time frame. In 1977, Romania was shrouded in the eerie grip of the communist era, where every whisper and rumor was meticulously controlled by the state security and government bodies. It was in this atmosphere of secrecy that an unsettling tale emerged, a story that would haunt the small town of Bixhead in Covasnau County for years to come. The tale began in the fall of 1977 when a hushed murmur spread through the town like wildfire. A colossal UFO, they said, had descended upon the stone quarry in Bixhead. From this mysterious craft emerged beings unlike any ever seen before. 
non-human entities that bore a message for the unsuspecting miners toiling away in the quarry's depths. The workers, rugged men, accustomed to the harshness of their labor, were stricken with fear at the sight of these otherworldly visitors. Panic coursed through their veins like a chilling draft in the darkest of tunnels, and in their terror they fled. They scattered like leaves in the wind, each miner seeking refuge from the incomprehensible terror that had descended upon them. As the miners scattered, the quarry fell eerily silent, its depths empty and abandoned. Not a soul dared to return to their back-breaking work, their fear too great to be easily forgotten. The stone quarry, once a place of ceaseless toil and determination, now stood desolate, a grim reminder of that fateful day in 1977. The state militia and the ever-watchful state security, guardians of the communist regime, were quick to intervene. Their presence loomed large over Bixad, but their motives and actions remained shrouded in secrecy. Had they orchestrated this encounter, or were they merely trying to control the chaos that had ensued? The truth was hidden beneath layers of obfuscation, waiting for a chance to break free. Years passed, and the communist regime eventually crumbled under the weight of its own deceit. In 1989, the revolution swept through Romania, ushering in a new era of openness and freedom. It was during the mid-90s that journalists, driven by a curiosity to unravel the mysteries of the past, descended upon Bixod. Their quest was to unearth the truth, to speak to the townsfolk and ascertain whether the incident from 1977 had indeed occurred. The stone quarry workers, now older and wiser, were interviewed one by one. To the astonishment of those seeking answers, not a single worker claimed to have heard of such an alien encounter. It was as though the event had been erased from the collective memory of the town. Had it all been a mere intoxication of the mind during the oppressive days of communism, or had the Securitate, the notorious secret police, done their job so effectively that they had obliterated all traces of the event, the unsettling truth remained elusive, leaving behind only the enigmatic whispers of the past. In the end, the tale of the UFO and the mysterious entities that had descended upon Bixid in 1977 remained a riddle wrapped in the cloak of history. Smoke without fire, some might say, but for those who had lived through it, who had glimpsed the unknown and fled in terror, there was an unsettling sense that something unexplainable had indeed transpired. The truth, it seemed, would forever linger in the shadows, waiting for the light of understanding to reveal its secrets. I've done merchandising for a living for the past eight years. This job requires me to go into retail stores early in the morning. Sometimes I will start at midnight, and on this day I start at 3 a.m. Now I enter a side door that the night shift workers use. Most of the time, I will see someone out there on a smoke break. However, there wasn't anyone out there this time. I got a little nervous because, on occasion, a night manager would lock the door for whatever reason. Thankfully, it was unlocked, and I proceeded into the store. Looking around, there wasn't even anyone at the front of the store working, typically. They were all over the store. 
filling shelves. I went to the customer service desk where a thick vendor sign book lay. I am required to sign in this book every morning before I start working. This way they know what merchandisers are in store. I could not for the life of me locate an ink pen. I flipped through all the pages of the book, looked under the book, and even went as far as turning the book upside down just in case a pen was stuck in the book somewhere. Still not finding one, I walked around the counter, checking all the registers and the lower shelving under the counter, still with no luck finding a pen. I resolved to go find someone with a pen because, again, I could not start working until this book was signed. I got about 15 steps away from the counter when I got the sudden urgency to turn around and look at the book. I did, and sitting on top of the book was a bright red pen. I signed in like normal, audibly saying thank you to whatever got the pen for me. I spent the rest of the day wondering if the event had actually happened. This store is still a part of my route. I haven't experienced anything else out of the ordinary here. It's around 4.30 a.m. Here and all the dogs in my neighborhood, I live in Hagerstown, Maryland, are freaking out. I get up to go let my dogs inside the house, figuring that'll at least calm things down a bit. I open the back porch door and look to my right where there is a fence line to another house. I looked over there because it looked like there were clothes hanging off the fence, and our neighbors have never done that, so I, I thought it was weird. Then I saw them, two men in black suits with no heads. I look at them for a good minute to make sure my eyes aren't playing tricks on me. They don't move, they just stand there. I could tell that one looked heavier than the other, but that's it. I backed into the house, locked the back door, and turned off the light. I go back into my room, and my husband is now awake because of all the dogs barking. I tell him I'm going to wait until it's light outside to get the dogs in because I just saw something I can't explain. I told him what I saw, and I said I felt like I sounded crazy. But I saw this. I'm not joking. He seemed like he believed me, but I don't know. WTH did I see? Hello, my name is R. At the time of the incident, I was living in China Grove, North Carolina. It was March 30, 2007. First off, just want to say I never looked into aliens or researched them or anything like that until this event happened to me. I would also like to add I'm only doing this so that someone can help me understand more of what happened as I can't talk to family or friends about this. No one believes me. I'm hoping to get some info on regression therapy from someone who is local to me. On the night of the incident, which was 18 years ago, I was sleeping in my bed next to my girlfriend at the time. We were living with her mother. Her house was right at the edge of the woods, and just following that was open, what used to have been cornfields. We weren't in the country by any means, just where our house was just happened to be, right on farmland. Our bedroom had one window, and it was facing the trees and fields. As I lay sleeping, I sort of wake up and see a couple of light balls come through the window and into the room. I don't remember being scared or anything. The rest plays out like scenes with no transitions, though. The next thing I see is the lights are gone, and I see three beings in my room. 
two small ones and one bigger. All were small, though two may be 3.5 feet and one may be 4.5 feet. I remember not being able to move. One was standing in front of the TV, and I remember it was almost transparent as I could see the TV through him, almost like 50% transparency. The other was standing by my girlfriend. Then I remember one on top of me. I couldn't tell if it was straddling me or not, but I was lying down, so I assumed so. I was in complete fear. No words can describe it. I tried my best to wake my girlfriend, but she wouldn't move. The one on top of me got inches from my face, and its eyes alone paralyzed me. The next thing I remember is waking up at 6 a.m. and being really thirsty. I've had three other similar times that happened as well in different locations. I never remember being on a craft, though this just takes place in my room. Like I said, it has happened a couple more times that I recall, like once every couple of years. Most were similar to the above, but did have one that was really different. This has changed my life forever. I just want to be heard and get more answers. It was a hot summer afternoon in Amsterdam, New York. I was living with my mom in a house trailer right off the main route in the first trailer in the park. It was June 9, 1980. The front door and the back door were almost across from one another, and I had both main wood doors open and screen doors shut. There's a small deck off the back door and the front door. I was alone. My mom had gone out for some errands. I was making coffee at the counter. This counter jetted out into the kitchen, leaving the front door easily in my sight to the right in the back door, just slightly past my peripheral vision on the left. No TV, no music no neighbors. Out of the corner of my left eye, I saw movement at the back door. I looked and saw a six grasshopper, like being that was wearing a tuxedo with towels, a top hat, and a black cane with a carved bone, like knob. It knocked on the back screen door. I looked back at my coffee cup in disbelief. Then I looked again, and it was still there, as it cocked its head. I looked away again in fear looked one final time and saw it was still there, and that's the last I remember. The whole event took only moments. I moved to Los Angeles in January of 1981. I had no memory of this event. I didn't tell my mom anything when she came home that day. I don't remember anything more from that day. It wasn't until I was in college that I remembered it. It came back as clear as it was that day, not over time, but all at once. I began telling the story to my close friends, but there was always part of me that questioned whether it happened or not. I'm an artist. Maybe I made it up. But the detail was too clear, and then I rented the video communion. I'm sure you know the premise of that movie as well as its location. When I saw the alien wearing the tux, top hat, and cane, I damn near fell off my chair. It was like being hit with a brick. What are the odds of that? There's no way we both dreamed up the same being with those odd details. This is not your standard gray. I think it's important to note that the movie came out after my encounter. My purpose in writing you is to add my story to your records. But more importantly, 
I would really like to know if anyone else has seen this and if they remember anything more about the encounter. I would really like to know what happened that afternoon after my third and final glance. My rebooted memory stops at the third glance, but I got a feeling that was not the end of the story. Please let me know if you have heard of anything like this, and thank you for all you do to inform and facilitate. I've experienced a lot of paranormal activities in my life. That one happened 15 years ago, when I was seven. On the weekend, I used to visit my grandparents. They lived in an old house not so far from where I lived that time. I remember that I've heard kids playing a game before enter at my grandparents' home, so I thought that were my cousins. When I got inside, uh, I saw that none of my cousins were there. I got confused and asked my grandma if she had heard something. She said that it was probably my imagination. I felt okay and didn't ask anything anymore. Late at night, after watching some cartoons with my grandpa, I went to sleep. When I entered my bedroom, I felt a different sensation, like if I wasn't alone. But I wasn't the kind of kid that gets scared easily, so I went to sleep. And then when I was sleeping, I woke up suddenly, I heard children voices near me. Everything was so dark, so I could just see some silhouette of little-sized people, or whatever it was. They were about 40 centimeter, 13 feet. They were running and laughing. I got scared that time. I've closed my eyes and started to run to the direction of my grandparents' bedroom. I told them what happened, and of course, they didn't believe me. They said that was probably just a dream. I slept with them because I was scared. On that night, I could hear them from the other room. They were really loudly. In the next morning, I told my mother about that. She believed on me. She said that it happened to her, too, when she were young. She said that they are some kind of fairy that lived there with my grandparents and that they are somehow trapped there, and also only kids could see them. She also said that when she was younger, she used to leave candies to them so they don't disturb you to sleep at night. Then the other night I did it, and I haven't heard anything more. So, this was something that would happen regularly while I was in middle school a few years ago. I lived in a small flat with my family and had this tiny room with no ventilation system. Alk or anything like that. Yet, for some reason, my curtains would just regularly move as if from wind in the middle of the night, but the windows and door were closed and, as I said, no other possible source of wind in the room. I would just lay down in bed and stare at it with concern. I don't know if it changes anything, but it was a rented apartment and there was this scary angel life-size wooden statue hanging above my bed, so it just added to the creepiness and I couldn't take it off because it technically was not our flat. Eventually we moved, but I'd like to know, was it like anything paranormal, or can someone with scientific knowledge explain to me why would these curtains so randomly move by themselves? About other weird stuff connected to this flat, I think I saw something in the bathroom mirror when I was 13 and was so scared to stay there for a longer period of time that for some time I asked my little brother to just sit with me in the air for companion while I took a bath. He was like, 
seven then, so it was not weird, yet low. After some time, I stopped asking, but still glanced into the mirror regularly as if to confirm that nothing was there. It was such a long time ago that I doubt my memory about whether I really saw anything there, or it was just my overactive imagination, because I read and watched a lot of horror stuff back there, but I remember how scared I was. Lastly, when I was sitting in one of the rooms, I sometimes heard closets from the corridor being opened and closed. These were like built-in closets you had to slide the door of in order to open them so it was a sound only one thing could make in the house. Once again, I never saw them opening by themselves, and I wonder if it wasn't just my imagination, but it still was unsettling for me at the time. There also were very few situations when my brother was scared to go to other room. Once even he said he won't go there because we can't wake up the man. We lived only with our mother, and I checked that room. Nobody was there. I still have no idea what man he was referring to. What are your thoughts?